Hi everybody, you're listening to the Rogue Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is the show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, turn off now. This podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk. And we strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to episode zero before attempting it. Finding at the top of our FedLife page, Rope Podcast. Fox is a rigger and Maya is a bottom, and we're rope partners and we've been practicing together for a couple of years. We're excited to share our passion for rope with you. And we live in Thailand. Today we are privileged to have an interview with Raya or Raichu on FedLife, spelled R-A-I-J-U. Raya is an American presenter and a demo bottom for a variety of subjects, including non-monogamy, BDSM subjects and so on. And of course, today we're particularly interested in rope. We wanted to pick her brains about some of her more unusual topics, such as tying yourself to your partner and building a human playground. Welcome, Raya, and thanks for joining us. Uh, Hello. <laughs> Hi. How is it in Michigan? Um, well, it was sunny in 84 a few hours ago, and now there's a thunderstorm outside, so could be better. <laughs> okay, hang in there. Uh, to kick us off today, set the scene for us. Uh, how did you first get interested in rope bondage? I actually came to rope in a uh, what I think of as a non-normal way. Um, when I had just graduated high school, I had a friend of mine who had started doing suspension um, for fun, but she noticed I had a lot of testing anxiety, so she taught me how to tie um, basically a rope harness underneath my clothes so that if I was getting anxious at all during a test, I could just expand my rib cage, take a deep breath, and feel that pressure, and it would actually help calm me down and do better on my tests. So that um, was one of those things where it started as a literal um, tool to combat anxiety. And then as I went on, I got into circus arts um, such as Ariel Silks and Lyra and Partner Acro. And when I realized that like I could also be interested in rope suspension, I started studying that art as well. And then eventually it sort of made its way into my bedroom. So it was kind of a different path than I often hear people experiencing. But yeah, that is really unusual. Yeah, that's, that does sound different. So you actually went to take your test with rope under your clothes. Yep. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, sort of those things like I always have felt more comfortable in small spaces. So it's uh, one of those things where like if I'm having a severe panic attack, if somebody puts me in the trunk of a car, that actually helps me calm down because it's a small, quiet space. So rope just kind of became the portable almost like a cow hugger. I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, Temple Grandin's work at all, but she was trying to help the food industry and would de develop this mechanism that would actually hug a cow from both sides. Oh, so oftentimes, yes. yeah, there's there's a joke with some of my friends that like I'm I'm the best sow because they can tie me up and I just get calmer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was your uh, your starting point and then how did you mm -hmm. made uh, who did you make progress like who, with, and how did you learn your, and develop your skills? Did you start more as a top or as a bottom, and how did you evolve? Wow, yeah, um, that's it's. I was all over the place for that too. I would say back in 2011 um, was when I first started to get interested in trying rope suspension, and um, in my local community, which was Ann Arbor, Michigan. 
there was um, actually a community that was being run by Canon and Tiferet at the time. So I would say they were kind of my gateway people because they were, as soon as I said, like, I'm interested in learning more about this, they were very helpful at letting me try things out without there being any pressure for anything else other than to actually try the sensation and to learn more about my body in um, in the substance of rope. Um, and then from there, so I definitely started as a bottom, and I think a lot of that had less to do with my inclinations toward a top or bottom dynamic and much more just with the experiences I was already having with circus arts. Um, it just felt more similar. I wasn't as interested in learning how to tie. I was interested in almost the circus performance of it because I started as a self-tire, um, but it wasn't self-suspension. It was just tying myself for anxiety reasons. So there was kind of this duo growth as a rigger and a bottom mm -hmm. because I wasn't pursuing either label or either headspace. I was learning more about the art itself. Um, and then... When I went on study abroad in Scotland, and that was from 2012 to 2013, I connected with um, Jeanne and Alberto of Blue Gate Clan, and I would say they still are the strongest influences on my style, um, my reasons for rope, on my connection. They're also members of my rope family, but they're more than that to me. Um, and it was Jeanne who actually was the first person who encouraged me to tie. And it was, um, she has a similar belief that I do, that um, it, is, it is easier to be a better bottom if you know about topping, because you can identify both sides of the coin, even if you don't want to actually engage in the other side of the coin. Mm. Um, so what she had done is I had been over at her apartment in Edinburgh, and she had taught me how to do a single column. And it was down to the minutiae. It was all the small finger flicks. So like I t every time I tie a single column, I know that I'm tying it the exact same way as my rope sister, who is in a completely different time zone and country. So it's almost like every single column I make is a love note to her. Mm, it's very symbolic. Um, yeah, um, but that's like that was such a significant day because she taught me how to do that column. We practiced it for an hour, and that was all I tied. And then we practiced munters, and then Alberto came home, and Jen said, tie him. And I went, what? No, I'm not ready. Like... He's been tied by so many other, like, much more experienced riggers. He doesn't want me to tie. Like, it was all of that self-doubt. And Jan pushed me and said, don't worry about it. I'm just going to put it on a track and just feel it. Just flow. All you need is a single column and some munters. And, like, that was the first time that I had tied someone else. And it was, I like, just, it was one of those scenes where everything worked perfectly. Like, I came down from the high energy at the same time the music did. It just landed on that perfect note. So oh. that was, that was the start of my, I guess, rigging topping experience, but it didn't really feel like that power exchange, which I have experienced before, but I think because I started with them, then moving forward to the future, when I came back to the States, then I definitely was bonding with um, Angel and Lord Thomas, who are members of West Michigan Rope, um, and they too are very much like, Thomas will tie Angel um, so that Angel can self-suspend. So he will put her in what they call a rock and roll tie and then just send her off. And so that started to inspire me to actually work more in my own self-suspension skills. Um, after seeing Tifrith um, do her own self-suspension, like I started to realize that, that was something I was interested in too. So that again, like everything kind of just slowly culminated. And then I would say 
2015, I started to get a lot more serious about figuring out like what type of bottom did I want to be? What type of top did I want to be? Did I want to subscribe to those labels? Um, and the people that probably influenced that the most was Barkas and Addy. Um, and they're, what I love about them is that they care about the spirit and soul of rope more than anything else. And they just are genuinely good people. Um, so I always been inspired by them. There was, I can distinctly think of a time um, where I had gone to a rope intensive and I and my partner at the time were not connecting. It was one of those things where he was getting so wrapped up in all the small little bits of the class that he was kind of forgetting to tie me. Mm -hmm. This is the point where like, I was actually experiencing physical injury because he mm -hmm. wasn't paying attention to the angles he was putting my shoulders. It was just like not a good day. So Barkas took a moment because we said, you know what, we're not in sync, we're not learning, we are going to leave the class early and try to reconnect as a relationship. And Barkas said, here, let me help you reconnect to the space before you have to leave. And what he did is he put a single column around my neck, went to the other end of the room, told me to close my eyes and just to listen to the rope. And at some point in time, I transitioned and was like sitting in front of Barkas and he was giving me a hug, but I don't know how I got from one point of the room to the other, but there was something about the tug and the pull of the rope and the back and forth. And without any verbal communication, like just that one strand allowed me to listen and to connect to another individual. And that, that moment definitely has been what I strive for in all of my scenes, no matter how complicated they are, whether they're just me practicing and it's more like dojo versus on the streets or whether I'm actually doing like a full bone, intense, cathartic scene that's been planned or not planned. Um, and I could say other influences, like a lot of the people who tie me have been taking classes with like Naka and Pedro. So I'm guessing that influences me as well, but mm -hmm. that's not as directly. That's more just, we all tend to be sponges with each other so that's kind of the overall <laughs> arching wow. of people and that sounds like a lot of um a lot of influences and a lot of different uh aspects coming into your work there and we'll dig into that a bit more in terms of how that's um come to fruition i guess in your own style in a minute um yeah i just wanted to dig into the anxiety piece a bit so i have um some anxiety issues myself I've had panic attacks since I was 15 um, and for me um, suspension and, and also being in rope is definitely one of the most calming the most peaceful um, the most relaxing places to be uh, in, in my whole life so now um, you know a number of years later after your high school experience how how does anxiety and rope interact for you how has that aspect of your journey progressed so I would definitely say um, even more than therapy and self-help books, Rope has been more involved in my process of wrangling my anxiety because I'll always have it. I know that it's something that I can work through and find strengths with. But specifically with Rope, um, that has been much more about sometimes looking back on a scene can help me feel less anxious. Um, I'm able to say, like, look at that look at that badass thing that I did. Um, and if I'm able to do that, then I can get through whatever's present in this moment. Um, so there's that aspect, um, but there's also been times where I've purposefully done a rope scene to combat something I feel anxious about. So an ex of mine and I had done a scene where they suspended me in a intentionally tightening tie so that if I fought or struggled at all, 
um, there would be more risk. Um, so kind of more of the Hojo style, but it was a partial suspension. And then they um, beat me while also channeling the voices of my inner demons. So things that my mom said or things that I say to myself. And it ranged. It was a it was a it was a lot of different things that were talked about in that scene. But it was so cathartic because there was this direct correlation between I needed to stay in mindfulness of my body's health and my and my like where where my physical form is at so that no injuries were caused but I also was having to combat this um, mental um, manifestation of my inner demons um, and also be processing the physical pain that I was feeling so in a way it kind of took everything that I fight on a daily basis and just made it more intense so there's been times with rope where there's been like a specific scene that's been used to try to help me reclaim a situation or a mm -hmm. phrase or to combat it. But in general, I would say like rope has just taught me that I can always find a connection to somebody. So no matter how anxious I am about like whether it's my social anxiety or um, whether it's just my general paranoia or my fears that people won't like me, rope has taught me that I can connect to anyone doesn't matter what language we speak. It doesn't matter what our political beliefs are. Like I can, that has, I think, been the biggest impact of rope as a general concept in my life um, is that I can be sitting in a room taking a class with people who are lawyers and busboys and, um, <laughs> or rope educators um, and <laughs> still have this thing in common with them and know that we're all going to have a different language that we tie with, but that at the end of the day, we can still speak similarly enough that we can interact mm, okay that's fascinating and so rope is so for me rope has been something which is i guess addressed the symptoms of anxiety whereas for mm. you you've also used it to address some of the causes and almost as a therapeutic tool sounds like an mm -hmm. exorcism the way you describe it which is kind of awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah there's definitely there's definitely been um experiences i've had that have felt that way Mm. Um, and how, what kind of aftercare did you do for that scene? So I'm a psychologist as well as Interrope, and so it's very interesting to me using it in that way. What kind of aftercare did you do? Ooh, um, my aftercare definitely differs depending on who it's with, um, who the scene is with. Um, but in that so... kind of very intense uh, therapeutic type situation? Mm -hmm. um, that, that specific situation, um, what I need to do, I... I spent the rest of the evening around other people in groups. Um, I just, I couldn't be at one-on-one -on -one with that person until late at night where we were able to like sleep next to each other and cuddle and hold each other. So for me, it was very much about, <sighs> I had to process. I couldn't, I couldn't go have a blanket wrapped around me and just be cuddled. Like that would be almost too intense. It would put too much focus on the experience I had just had. So my aftercare was specifically geared to keep my brain distracted. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, it was different than my aftercare was taken in other forms. But for that specific scene, it was very much about <laughs> kind of allowing me to process what had just happened without letting me fall into the spiral. Of right, for sure. About what had just happened. Yeah, yeah. So there was still uh, definitely physical contact, but that was more yeah. about staying social at the event. 
Hmm. Um, and, and that's really fascinating. And one of the things that you talk about in your FetLife profile and in your writings is is this connection to spirit, intellect, and soul, and the communication piece. And I think you've touched on this a bit already, but talk about why rope speaks to you in that way so why is it this method of pure connection for you and how does that work as a top versus as a bottom as well that's quite interesting oh yes absolutely um uh, one of the things that i love like that communication aspect so i'm probably going to deviate a bunch but we'll get to my end conclusion i'm sure um in a conversation, I feel like sometimes there is someone who is the dominant and the submissive of any conversation. And I think rope can take place in that. And in a way, it creates this um, structure for that interaction, whether um, that is a literal scene about it or whether it is like top ties bottom or master ties slave or whatever that works people. But what I also like about rope is that you don't have to have that dynamic. You can also have two people who are both in a top headspace or you can top from the bottom without having it be disrespectful. Like I, one of the things that I love about rope is that you don't have to follow a certain structure. Um, it can be about what you and the people or persons um, want to do. It doesn't even have to be between two people. It's a, it's a limitless subject matter. It can be painful. It can be sensual. It can be comforting. There's, there's just, there's no limit to what you can do creatively with it on like the fact I know someone who gave an assignment to a group of people to create a car wash out of rope in which they had to successfully put a rope bottom through the car wash like <laughs> there's there's literally like your, your imagination is the limit and it becomes this communal effort so without specific words having to be spoken though they can be you can have an educator from Japan who doesn't speak English come teach and the fact that like different cultures learn rope differently and some you watch people for years and that's all you get to do you don't get to ask questions you don't get to practice you just get to watch until you start to understand and then others it is specifically like that you're you're taking a regimented class or that you're participating in a rope jam so for me personally what i like is that <laughs> I often trip up over my own words because I do get anxious or I get paranoid or I get insecure. But if I just stop trying to talk and instead start trying to feel, I can do that with rope. Hmm. And I can't always access those feelings because I'm, I am a person who has difficulty with vulnerability because of some of the traumas I experienced in my formative years. So the fact that there is this, this very simple substance that allows me to reconnect to people or to give them a handshake and say, hi, I'd like to be your friend without it having to be sexual or it can be sexual. It can be flirty. Like I can perform on the same stage as a silk artist, or I can have my husband come home and just have a simple rope harness on. And he knows that that can mean a couple of different things. And it's all about context. We get to work out together, whether that means that I've had a bad day or whether I'm trying to have a good night <laughs> like that. <laughs> that's, um, that's why rope is important to me is it, it is the limitless possibilities as a tool to connect to other people or connect to the self. Cause I know, I mean, granted I started as a self tire, 
just not in the performative sense. I started as somebody who tied myself in order to get more in touch with my feelings and my needs and my wants. That's where I started. And then as I slowly grew, I discovered how to use rope to connect to others. And now I'm at the point where I'm trying to help people experience that same self-awareness through rope connection. Um, like that, that is, I guess, the easiest way to say how I have shifted from 2011 to 2018. Mm. That is, that is absolutely lovely. Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. We really love making this rope podcast and sharing it with you. Sadly, hosting a podcast isn't free, far from it actually. So if you like this podcast and you want to support us, you can do so at ropepodcast.com. You'll find ways to buy rope stuff so that we get a cut from your purchases and also ways to donate to us directly. And if you can't afford to do that, that's okay too. Just enjoy the podcast. Now back to our normal programming. On the tying itself, on a more technical aspect, how would you describe your personal style? Ugh, ugh, um, evolving. <laughs> It's yeah. definitely evolving. It changes depending on the day, who I tie, who my partners have taken classes with recently. Um, so my personal style definitely is not um, a, a collection of cards that I flip between and say, today I'm going to tie an EB or a shrimp tie. <laughs> like, I, I'm not one of those. Um, okay. I, uh, unless if there's, uh, like, a photo shoot involved, then I might be more particular. But specifically, like, my my rope style, I typically say that I do rope suspension instead of shibari or kimbaku, because okay. rope suspension has a much more umbrella um, to it. Um, and I could see myself eventually growing more towards kimbaku, the beautiful suffering. Um, mm -hmm. So the, the meaning of that, like, well, you can't really directly translate it. It's as close as you can get. But I... I love the beautiful suffering in general, whether I'm receiving or giving that. But um, as a rigger, like one of the reasons why I will tie others, and frankly, most of the time I do floor work, not because I have to, but because that's what allows me to really get people to open up, um, is it's not, I guess you could say it's similar to Hojo, but it doesn't yeah. use Hojo forms because I've been trained in Hojo. But mm. it's, it's, those, it's those ties that kind of, there's a grapple, there's a fight. I don't normally tie as a top, I tie as a comrade. Um, mm. So it ends up being a journey together and it normally, it, sometimes it's silly. There's been many times where like my scenes look like fighting, but there's a lot of laughing involved. Yeah. There's <laughs> kicks to the solar plexus on my part as <laughs> if receiving kicks to the solar plexus while trying to tie someone else. Or there'll be times where someone will be trying to suspend me and I'll be trying to hogtie them and whoever can't tie anymore loses. <laughs> like, so when it comes to my personal style, I guess you could just say playful fuckery for the sake of catharsis. Like that, that's as close to a style as I have because there isn't specific forms. There isn't a specific history that I take from. Um, it very much is what I feel in the moment, and mm. it's much more about tying to that person's anatomy and personality than mm. it is to thinking cognizantly about <laughs> what form do I want to tie. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun, the, the playing around and so on, and, and the takedown and uh, wrestling and so on. Uh, do you find you have a stronger affinity to jute or to hemp or to something else? <laughs> 
<laughs> so I, I come from a long history of um, rope family members that are hemp snobs. Mm -hmm. So I am obligated to say hemp and nothing else. But at the end of the day, Good like, job, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, I can I can argue why I like hemp better for me personally as a bottom. I can suspend for longer in hemp, and mm -hmm. if I want something scratchy, I would much rather use frond, palm frond or coconut rope. Mm -hmm. Like it's, to me, Juke's scratchiness is not enough for me to want to play with it. But that could just be because the people who have most influenced me are hemp people. Um, we are hemp people, also, yeah. Oh yes, <laughs> family. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, I adore hemp. Um, granted, like there's other types of rope I also appreciate, like rope that can conduct electricity mm -hmm. is pleasing, and like I also enjoy underwater bondage, so that's going to be um, synthetic typically. Yeah. Um, just that's easier to wash, but it's one of those things where, in general, I I tie with hemp. Because I thought those are the multiple. I have um, three kits now, um, and one of them is unconditioned because a partner that I tie is allergic to the conditioning oils mm. often used. So that's kind of the kit that I use with her. Um, and then I have my conditioned kit that is what I use to suspend myself. Um, and then I have my third, which is for um, things that might get a little messy and need to be. <laughs> is that, um, but uh, that's. It's one of those things. Hemp is very much what I care about. Um, and if I want to make an intentional decision for something to be scratchy, then I'm going to go the palm frond or coconut rope route. And if I want to have suspension friendly palm frond or coconut rope, it's going to suck for me because I'm going to have to make it ahead of time. But you can weave those substances around um, suspension um, braided like I don't it's not camping cord. It's climbing rope, but you got to yeah. take the core. So there's a way to do it. I've done it for crotch rope because I'm a jerk, but <laughs> like that's not that's not standard. But those are those are other things I like to dabble in. Sounds mm. good. Uh, <laughs> you talked in that last um, that last example about about catharsis. Can can you give us an example? I know I know that's something that you're particularly focused on. Can you give us an example of a scene where you had that catharsis? Mm, yes. Um, uh, I would say that. The scene that picks out most in my head for catharsis, ooh, I could pick between two. Um, one was intentionally done as a catharsis scene, and one became a catharsis scene. So I'll go with the intentional one first. Mm -hmm. I was at Shibari Khan, and a dear friend of mine had just finished up a scene with their partner, and towards the end of it, he had said, oh, look, X person is free. I can finally go be the sadist I don't really get to be, and then left her. Um, and so when I found her, I was like, hey, something's off. What's going on? And she's like, I'm just dealing with a lot of insecurity. I'm dropping from a scene, and I'm wondering if I'm a good enough bottom. Like, the, my mm -hmm. partner was clearly more interested in tying someone else yeah. because they have more pain endurance and whatnot. And I was like, well, well I, I said some cuss words. <laughs> and yeah, that was said, justified, like, I think. Yeah, I specifically was like, do you want to go have a scene together? Like, would you, like, do you want to go there? And at the time, I was still very much t dealing with a lot of identity struggles. I had that idea that, like, I could only be a bottom, I could be nothing else. So this was a big deal for me to be like, I am trying to push this. Um, and also because of my trauma history, I have a lot of difficulty with if I'm being dominant, am I being abusive? Other conversations. Um, but... Mm -hmm how we went about that scene is I ended up 
comparing them to a carpet and I basically suspended them and then beat them like a carpet while talking about all the things that they had let get into their carpet fibers. It's <laughs> 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 very, very much like a humiliation scene that, but I happened to know this person well enough and I knew this person's also a little bit of a germaphobe. <laughs> Uh-huh. So I did things. I took off one of my stockings and was threatening to use that to tie their mouth closed if they kept trying to defend themselves as being worth more than a carpet. And mm. talked about the places that I would donate her corpse to. Like it was. <laughs> the, the, by the end of it, though, we had gotten to the point where, when she came down and like I kind of wrapped myself and some of the other rope around her. And was just kind of checking in, like, what was she feeling? What was she aware of? What was the same? What was the difference um, from before we had started? And the main thing she said is she had, through that scene, and I'm sure other things were going on in her head that helped her reach that conclusion. I am not that kind of God. But through that scene, she had come to the conclusion that, like, it, there is no measure for what a good bottom is, quote-unquote, or what a good scene is. There's only, were you in the moment, and did you grow from that experience? So I think in that state, it was less it was less about healing that specific ailment and just having another reference point to be able to keep moving forward. Um, and, I mean, it was cathartic for me, too, because I had had somebody say, yes, I am comfortable with you topping me. Yes, I am comfortable with you using humiliation words. And, yes, I am comfortable with using the personal information you have on me. And, like, <laughs> making me uncomfortable, specifically utilizing my germophobia in mm. our scene. Like, that. that's a that has continued to be a subject matter that she and I play with where she, she has issues with, with germs and dirt. And I have sensed on other scenes with her where like I hid a bowl of snow that I had gotten from a snowbank, which means it was full of dirt and grime. Mm -hmm. And then halfway through she had been hanging in a suspension where I could easily drop just her chest lower and dropped it into the ice bucket so at first it was the temperature play sensation that she was struggling with. And then I got to tell her where I had gotten that snow from. <laughs> <laughs> she was no longer worried about the temperature. <laughs> she was worried about the fact that she was touching dirt. So mm. like, this is someone I continuously <laughs> do mind fuckery with in our scenes. And so I would say that's an ongoing cathartic relationship in which we play with things or like she doesn't like when her food is mixed together. So I will make her eat well tied up so she can't really pick what she's eating. Like, it's, you, like the, my seeds are silly, but they also have seriousness to them. Um, you, you sound like a very playful person, but with a second yes. layer of construction <laughs> in your playfulness. Absolutely. Um, whether receiving or giving, I, I enjoy playfulness. I don't... I feel that in a way I can almost be more serious with a partner um, when I am able to be playful with them at the same time. It's, mm. it almost is a gateway for me to be more emotionally connected um, because there isn't that pressure to perform. There isn't that pressure to be a domly dom. Instead, I can just be in that moment and feed off of and interact with what my partner's feeling. That's quite cool. Uh, yeah. And the um, other cathartic scene was like a five minute tie it was someone I hadn't seen in ages and we had missed each other and apparently it was just because of the fact that I was fully focused on them and it was I used one rope it was a one rope scene floor work where 
kind of did a column around the ankle and then just kept tying. I kept turning them into a ball and then pushing them around. And it was the fact that I had stayed focused 100% on this person. And that was the only thing in my world that mattered. And I was still just enjoying spending time with that person. And there was no expectation of what do other people see? What do other people care? Like it was just us. And that for her was super cathartic. And that is still one of my favorite scenes, even though it's one of the most simple scenes that I can conceptually think of. There wasn't a lot of humiliation play. There wasn't pre-planning. It was existing in that moment with my friend. Just a dance with a bit of rope. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's quite nice. Uh, so Raya, you present and you teach on some unusual, unusual topics such as tying yourself to your bottom and rope and human playgrounds. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, um, absolutely. As, as, as you kind of noticed, I'm not your standard um, like utility, utility kill Domly Dom. Like I, <laughs> we didn't notice I, that I, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I very much care about in my personal private play, um, not caring about what quote unquote is expected of a rope scene, and instead focusing on what do we want to do. So when I form my classes. Um, I very much focus with that same subject matter. Like, I try to think of, one, what is not already out there? What are people not teaching? Two, what are fun ways to practice rope skills so that people actually have the ability to practice together and still feel connected? And then three, like, it's it's more about what's going to actually teach people um, almost problem solving, right? Like, if something goes wrong, how do you handle it mm. is a great class subject and can easily be a class on its own, but I can tuck that into other subject matters without it being noticed. So when talking about tying yourself to your bottom and rope and human playgrounds, things you have to think about is anatomy, body mechanics, um, and um, risk factors, right? Yes. So instead of specifically teaching a class on like, this is anatomy and this is risk factors, instead I'm able to challenge um, people who are tying together to think about those problems while also enjoying each other's company. So if someone is tying themselves to their bottom, there's plenty of reasons that could be done. It could be logistical, like it, it, maybe it makes it easier to do certain sex positions because it gives it you does. more love. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, like I, I, I know there's been times where like there are some um, dynamic differences. I have a partner of mine who is almost double my height. Mm -hmm. um, so Double. Being, that sounds like yeah, a lot. it's a there's a giant height difference there, and um, they tend to be on the more bottomy side of things. So being able to suspend myself makes some things a lot easier, because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise it's very difficult to to feel toppy. <laughs> I'm like you can snap me like a twig, but you should get on your knees <laughs> like that. So I there's been times where I've needed to tie myself to my partner just in order to feel um, in, in charge and control. It's been logistical, but um, also like it, there's something, there's something fun. If you say like, what if, what if you had a Yoda, your partner, like if they, if they had a, if they needed to be carried, like how would you tie them to your body mm. to carry them? Like, let's say that they just, their legs were too tired. Like what would that look like? And asking those hypotheticals, like in reality, it's probably going to be, unless if you're climbing Mount Everest and suddenly somebody's leg gets chopped off, like you're probably not going to have to actually carry someone using rope. But that 
kind of subject matter gets you to think about rope in a way that you might not otherwise do. It allows you to think more about like, what areas can you tie? What areas can't you tie? Like, um, logistically, how does it affect my body mechanics as a rigger? If I'm tying this person to me, if I know that I personally have lower back pain, um, then I need to tie the person to me in such a way that focuses the weight to balance on my hips, mm. because then I have that extra support and it won't strain my back. But you're, this means that I'm um, you're, you're tricking about people into working on serious subject matter through a gamey approach, essentially. Exactly. And yep. also creative problem solving, which yeah. is very powerful and good for the brain also. That's, that's <laughs> yep. really cool. Uh, can you name us your favorite tie or your least favorite tie, like a tie you have a strong feeling about? Mm, um, I really like Fudos. Mm -hmm. um, just uh, the, the leg tie, um, no, it's, it's sometimes called like fat leg or um, I, I'm blanking. Basically, my shins really like pressure. Mm -hmm. So for me, having the kind of tie where my legs are, and I also have some hyperflexibility. So that sensation of um, my foot being tucked into the same crevice that my um, ass curve exists in. Like, yeah. I can't get out that because <laughs> sometimes I like to be a little conniving and see if I can get out of things it's when my legs are folded and tied up correctly um, then I can't get out of that and I really physically like the sensation of weight on my shins mm -hmm. so for me I would say that's my favorite tie not only because of where the sensations fall on my body but because of how many different transitions a fudo can last through yeah um, I like that is my favorite favorite part about them and how differently they can be done they can be done ornately they can just be done messy they can you can put bottle caps and palm frond underneath the fudo so that when somebody's like mean. bends together <laughs> a little a little is there's a nice there's a nice wide range um but that the fact that like they can have so much personality visually as well as physically in the sensation i love how versatile they are even though it's one of those fundamental ties that when people start learning, like that's you learn your TK and you learn Fudo. Like those are the two things. And personally, I actually strongly dislike TKs. God, we hate TKs um, here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and part of that for me is like my, my day job is I'm a massage therapist. Hmm. TKs can often put me at a higher risk um, for my hands yeah. um, dealing with nerve damage. Yeah. And that means I'm at the job. And because of how flexible I am, <laughs> Um, and my, I have better muscle structure, which can also be more difficult because it means for me personally that um, my nerves are closer to the surface. So I have to, if I'm going to be tying a TK with someone, it needs to be someone who knows my body very well. And if we're doing any transitions is um, talented enough to be able to notice if that rope shifts at all or it means my job. So that's kind of, you got both ends of that coin, what my favorite tie is and what my least yeah. favorite tie is. Mm, mm. I'm buying. Uh, <laughs> um, that's fascinating. And, and so we're, we're nearly at the end of the um, interview. So, so to, to leave us with something um, very actionable, um, thinking about rope bottoms who want to grow, um, what actionable advice would you give them to do that? Because your journey seems to have been full of uh, growth. Yeah, yeah, I've been lucky in that way. Um, for me personally, what allowed me to grow the most is my willingness to meet new people who think differently than I do, as well as to learn 
myself. So the reason why I originally started learning how to tie is so that I could recognize if someone was tying me correctly or incorrectly. So I'm now at the point as an advanced bottom where if someone who's less experienced is tying me, I can identify if something feels wrong or if there's a knot that's been tied that hasn't been properly cinched down purely because I've had experience. So the, the hand in hand, there's the logistical, um, make sure that you understand rope as a substance, like what is just understanding how that functions. So even if you don't want to tie other people, having an awareness of the basics can immensely help the ability of being a better bottom and um, therefore also a better communicator to a top as to what you do and don't like about rope. Um, but then on the emotional side, the willingness to take classes that aren't your interests because you never know what you're going to learn in those. And it gets you to question your thought process. So many different types of rope, like down to the tightness, how tight you tie something changes depending on who's teaching it um, and what's suggested and what's safer, quote unquote, and what's less safe. Like that's a lot of these things are a matter of opinion. And so seeking out multiple perspectives so that you can figure out what is the path that you actually want to focus and stay on. Um, I think is the best way to do it. Um, but again, that's the difference between do you want to be an Olympian or do you just want to do it as a hobby on Saturdays? Like there's there's a lot of pliability in there as well. So me personally, I, I would like to be on the Olympian path. I would like hmm. to get to the This is um, a, a skill set that not only I can share with other people, but um, I also have grounds to share with other people. Um, but for others, it is just about taking it home and doing it with their partner um, or having a stress relief once a month. Like, And I think all of those are completely legitimate paths. But I would say the best way to improve is to put yourself in situations that make you uncomfortable in a comfortable way. Mm, that, mm, that that's is very interesting, Raya. And thank you for sharing all those things with us today on the Rope Podcast. Uh, if you ever want to uh, visit Thailand, we've got plenty of beautiful places <laughs> to rope in. <laughs> for sure, for sure. If it gets um, in the budget, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, uh, Raya, where can people find you and your courses online? Absolutely. Um, the easiest place to find me is going to be on FetLife, um, and you can find me there. Um, by searching um, R-A-I-J-U. Um, and then I also do technically have a website um, that I and other members of my Polycule um, list our classes and more information about us at. Um, if you go to R-I-A-H-R-A-I-J-U dot Wixsite, W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com slash Riotcule, R-I-O-T-C-U-L-E, there's going to be um, the specifics to my classes and information there, as well as some of the other people who I try to teach with. Um, and that website can also be found on my FetLife page. Wonderful. And we'll also put links to those in the show notes on FetLife to make it easy for people. Lovely. <laughs> so that's all from us today at the Root Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from, so iTunes or Stitcher and so on, and come friend us on our FetLife page, uh, which is Rope Podcast, no you, space. You can also find us easily at ropepodcast.com. We love questions from our listeners, so drop us a message on Fet, and we'll try to answer you in an upcoming episode. Thanks for listening. And have fun tying.